All right. It's that time. It's time for Beyond Sight and Sound. Let's do this. Are you looking for a high-quality beach and sand scoop? Are you trying to take your hunting to the extreme? How about an American-based company that stands behind their product and everything they sell? Then check out our friends over at Extreme Scoops. John has been making scoops for some time now and makes a quality beach and sand scoop to take your hunting to the next level. Extreme Scoops recently released their new sand shredder that works great in the water and on the beach. And if you're a new Equinox user, you may want to check out his Surfmaster X3 that can trap those small targets you new Equinox users are finding out there. Extreme Scoops company approach is let's do it right. So do it right, buy it once, and go to the extreme. Extremescoops.com That's X-T-R-E-M-E scoops.com Caution. Please do not operate motor vehicles or power equipment while under the influence of this show. Listening to this show could cause side effects such as bouts of laughter, violent binges of cabin fever, and even dreams of silver and gold. Please be advised. Now that the fine print is out of the way, on with the show. All right, we're back and we're live once again. The fine print is out of the way and it's time to roll with the show here. You are listening to Beyond Sight and Sound, Metal Detecting, and Treasure Hunting Radio for all the really cool digging people out there. And when I look into the chat, I see Florida has a strong presence in the house tonight. I see Mark's in. Oh, wait a minute. We've got the Bills in the house as well. Uh, I see Earl in from Virginia. Uh, Home Finder through the door. Nice. It's good to see everybody dropping into the chat. Been looking forward to this show for a while. Uh, you guys, I'm sure, have seen, and gals, have seen the posts. You've seen uh, maybe the recent video that I had done about my first impressions of the uh, the latest model of Extreme Scoop that was released earlier this year, the Sand Shredder. And we've actually been able to 
track down John where where he can sit down for a little bit because he's a very busy guy. But uh, we've been able to track him down and get him to sit down with us tonight and discuss quite a quite a uh, interesting number of topics here. I mean, we'll be talking extreme scoops. We'll be talking about the ring finders, ring recoveries, the uh, Houston metal detecting services, uh, YouTube videos. And and a very special topic that I kind of uh, hinted at, we'll say, a little bit Wednesday night, but I wasn't ready to put out there what it was. Now you folks see it in the title. We're going to be talking a little bit about forensic evidence recovery with metal detectors. Pretty interesting stuff, gotta tell you. Looking forward to it, but, uh, you know, oh, Pear's in the house as well, so welcome. <clears throat> So, uh, obviously, as we've said at the beginning of, of a number of shows now, if you guys get the chance, be sure and check out our friends over at Extreme Scoops, their Facebook page, give them a like, check out their other links. The links for tonight's show are in the description. And who can forget, make sure to check out the man with the plan, the dealer of choice, Chuck Smalley over at Shooters and Prospectors. Uh, I'm sure he'd appreciate a like, or if you've even dealt with him, you're looking for a new dealer, whatever the case, drop over, check him out, give him a review if you've dealt with him before. I'm sure he appreciates it. You know, we all like to know where, where the word is coming from. It doesn't hurt to share. Hey, we heard about these people on Beyond Sight and Sounder. We heard about them from Josh Kimmel. Uh, honest, you know, they're, they're not going to shy away from you and treat you like you've got the plague or something. I, I promise. So, let's get rolling with it and let's just jump right in and get John in here too. How's it going, John? Uh, all is good. Nice. Well, first off, I would like to uh, take a moment and thank you once again, not only for your service, but uh, also for taking the time to sit down with us tonight and discuss a topic that I'm sure many will find out tonight listening you are also very passionate about. Well, I appreciate that. It's actually an honor to be on your show. Awesome. Well, let's uh, let's start out and and let people know. For those who may not know, just who is John Volick? Uh, how how did you decide to get into metal detecting? Where did you get your start from? Well, I started as a law enforcement officer in Port Aransas, which is on Mustang Island. So I lived on the beach for about nine years, and that's kind of where I got my start in the hobby of treasure hunting. I also worked as a police diver, but most of that was recovery of things most of us care not to look at or see. But uh, that has all carried over into what it is I do today and continue to do in the way of treasure hunting and forensic evidence recovery. Nice. So how many years have you been doing this then? Uh, Law enforcement, I've been a police officer for 29 years now. Uh, Treasure hunting for... It's somewhere around the fifteen-year mark. Wow, that's that's still quite a bit of time under the belt, no matter how you look at it. Yes. And what inspired you then to, uh, you know, did you just wake up one day and say, you know, we got all these beaches around, I should, uh, I should be like one of these other guys and get a Hawaiian shirt and knee-high socks and and go and look for lost change on the beach. <laughs> Yeah, I, you know, I don't 
really have a definitive answer. It's just something that has always intrigued me, whether we're seeing somebody else doing it on the beach one day while at work. Uh, I don't know. Just, uh, you know, just a hobby that I had picked up, something I enjoyed. I uh, always liked being able to put the headphones on. I, and I guess this work comes in. I find it therapeutic to be able to put the headphones on, get out Absolutely. in the water, and just kind of put put everything else kind of out of my mind and just listen to the the hum of the detector and you know the cool water on my feet and just kind of uh, like I said, kind of wash everything else out of my mind. Nice. Uh, when when you first started out in the hobby, do you remember the first machine you started with? It was a Garrett. Okay. And where did you go from there then? Did you stick with Garrett? Because I know that now you use a few different machines. Yeah, I have five different machines that I now use. And as we all know, that not each machine is capable of doing uh, everything equally. So, uh, you know, different machines for different projects uh, and different types of recoveries. So I now own Garrett machines and Mind Lab tends to be more of my go-to machine this day and age. Nice. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, it's no big secret. I'm a big fan of Mind Lab as well. The uh, I've got the E-Track, the CTX, the Excalibur. Uh, good machines, but like you said, it's, uh, you know, not, not all of them are going to perform equally in the same situation. So, uh, you know, certain certain tools for certain applications. Yes. Do you uh, vision yourself as more of a beach and water hunter or more of a dirt digger, or are you just kind of, I'm, I'm an all-around guy, jack of all? No, more true to the beach and water, and I, I don't want to say specialized, but I have uh, I specialize in underwater recoveries, per se, in zero-visibility environments, and that's the water conditions that we have here in South Texas. Now, granted, we do have some nice lakes, and the water gets pretty nice in those areas, but everything down along the coast is in zero visibility environments, and uh, that's one of the areas I, uh, you know, offer a service in. Right, and that's that's a pretty tough one. I mean, you're in zero visibility; you're basically in the dark. That's that's got to be difficult for some of these recoveries. Yeah, I designed, I can't say I created, but I designed a submersible underwater grid that's uh, proven to be a very effective tool for underwater recoveries. It's basically creating a archaeological uh, grid underwater. So when you're in that zero visibility, zero visibility environment, you have a reference underwater, which is an absolute uh, necessity. Otherwise, you'll just swim off, you know, not knowing a course of direction. So it's a giant PVC grid with four boxes in one. And it gives you the ability to search those individual boxes one at a time with the metal detector, move to the next box, and then search the outer ring of that box. And if you're unsuccessful at finding the item, then you can grab that grid underwater and drag it to the next drop location and start that process over again. That's a great idea. I mean, it goes a long way towards uh, being successful or not being successful in that situation, I'm sure. I've I've not heard of anybody doing that. That is a really good idea. I like it. Yeah, I have some videos. You know, I, I believe in sharing everything that I either learn from someone or create myself or, uh, you know, whatever it may be. I'm all about sharing it with other people. And you know, I have some videos of that on uh, my YouTube channel at Houston Metal Detecting Services, kind of the layout and the design of that grid. 
Uh, so anybody is certainly welcome to grab a hold of that design and utilize it. You know, some of the guys are very fortunate they're able to dive in clear water where those type of, uh, you know, requirements are not necessarily uh, needed, where they have, a you know, a line of sight visually underwater and, uh, you know, are able to do those type of searches without those type of requirements. Yeah, absolutely. But, uh, you know, if you're in a situation where you need something like that, I'm sure it's quite the handy asset to have in your arsenal. Sure. I can see that. And, uh, let's see, what, what came first? I'm, I'm going to say, obviously, you came across the ring finders first, probably. Yeah, and as I mentioned, I had been a police diver and a recreational metal detectorist, uh, out of Port A on Mustang Island for some time. And then there was, there was a pretty good break. After I left Port A, there was a pretty good uh, departure from metal detecting as I started a new career with the police department here in Texas, where I've been now for 20 years. And uh, so I took a lot of those skill sets. I had a lot of those skill sets available to me, the years of law enforcement training, the diving, and some of that recreational time. And the way it started, yes, with the ring finders, but the starting point was I was at work one afternoon and I had heard that a gentleman had come in to the police department and was looking for the crime scene unit to assist him in finding his lost wedding ring. And he had lost that wedding ring in a field behind a church uh, after having gotten his truck stuck during a church outing. And uh, our CSI unit, not like a lot of other agencies, has 20-year-old metal detectors and it's not something they use frequently. They made a valid effort and went out there to look for the ring and were unsuccessful. I don't remember exactly how I heard about it, but I did. I went down there and talked to Max as one of our CSI guys. He gave me the rundown. I went out there and found the ring in about 10 minutes. Wow. So do you think that this was kind of uh, maybe a combination of, since, since they don't use them very often, maybe lack of experience as well as inferior technology? Absolutely. You know, it's like anything. You need to have some understanding of the equipment that you're utilizing, whether it's a sledgehammer or a jackhammer. You kind of want to know how to use the tool. But, uh, you know, nothing against, you know, the guys in my organization or any organization. I mean, I'm seeing it across the board now. We're going to get there about traveling and teaching forensic metal detecting. But as that gentleman came up to collector's ring, he, he turned out to be a, a very affluent banker in our community. And in the lobby of the police department, as I handed him his ring, he reached in his pocket and started doling out $100 bills. And, of course, there I am in the lobby of the police department in uniform, uh, <laughs> just an uncomfortable situation. And of course, I told the gentleman I couldn't take his money uh, for one. And then, it, you know, it was an ethical issue as well. Having heard about this through the police department, I was doing this as a police officer, not as a, you know, as a private individual at that point in time. But it also gave me a, you know, a thought process went off. I'm like, I wonder how often this happens. And that's when I did a little web research and came across the ring finders. Ah, okay. So this was back, uh, what, uh, 2012? Yes, uh, six, seven years ago. That's correct. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. So, so you run across the ring finders and you, you kind of think, hey, uh, Apparently, this stuff happens fairly regularly. Maybe I should, uh, you know, list my services. Yeah, it was, it's actually quite misleading, you know, having been a police officer for 29 years. I mean, we occasionally hear about somebody losing property or 
jewelry is taking in a you know a residential burglary something of that nature but you really just don't have which is interesting people not coming into the their local police departments to report that property loss yeah they don't know where to turn right so I ended, I ended up contacting the ring finders spoke with Chris Turner who is just an absolutely great person and he set me up uh, as a member of the ring finders and uh, you know it's, it's just been non-stop you know Chris got me into doing the the videos he's really been a, a great member Chris was really an awesome guy but uh, talked me into getting into doing uh, videos which was not really my interest <laughs> but, you know <laughs> now I'm glad I did because it, it really opened it has opened a lot of doors uh, as we progress through the story here but uh, so I got into doing it and Chris gave me some pointers you know you need an introduction you need to do a little uh, video of the recovery and then you need to be closing you know which is the smile of these people getting their property back or their ring back so it's good a lot for Chris Turner and uh, you know, it's, things have just taken off. You know, I've been blessed in a lot of ways just from swinging a metal detector, which is just something I enjoy doing anyway. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're you're out there doing what you enjoy anyhow, and obviously you've found out yourself firsthand experience over the last uh, six years that this does happen on a regular basis and that people may not know where to turn and that when they do realize there is an option and you're able to recover that ring for them or or that special lost item that they they really are genuinely thankful and and it is a great experience and i believe the last i checked you have uh i believe 137 documented recoveries on the ring fighters yes. in six years that's i mean that's absolutely awesome that's very commendable yeah, you know, and uh, I think one of the reasons I enjoy it so much, it's, it's just such a complete departure from the things that I traditionally deal with on a daily basis at my job. Uh, you know, usually people at their worst, not always at their best, or with the ring finders, when I go out there and help these folks, I mean, they're, you know, sometimes it's a miracle, call it what you want, but some of these recoveries are just uh, absolutely uh, very unique, and these people are just extremely happy and you know you've made a good uh point or time in their lives that they'll never forget and uh, you know it's a good feeling like i said being able to go out there and do something for someone uh you know just uh, it's just a lot of fun and uh, i enjoy it a lot yeah we've uh we've said many times on the show in the past where you know some people they have that frame of thought of finders keepers i'm gonna hawk the gold ring uh, things like that, and we always recommend, you know, if there's a chance someone reaches out to you and wants you to find a ring for them, or you just, you're out hunting and randomly find one that can be returned, at least do it once, just for the experience. You know, after that, if you choose to keep it all or whatever, hey, to each their own, but many people, once they experience that first time, they want to do it again, and again. Yeah, you know, and, and yes, and you, you, if you want to look at it from the monetary standpoint, you know, a lot of these items that you find, I find a, say I find a man's wedding band and I had the means of tracking it down. So, you know, we talk about once it goes in the pouch or the, the pirate mentality or the, you know, the return mentality, I could probably take a found ring and get melt value for a 14 carat ring for $68 maybe, where I can return this ring to somebody that just, will be so happy 
that they've been able to get that ring back will want to pay you hundreds of dollars. So, I mean, it just, you know, I, I would argue for anyone that if you're able to return the ring, in most cases, it's going to be far more financially rewarding for you than it is for the small amount of melt value for that particular item. Right. And in many cases, too, like you said, melt value is going to be like $68 on a said particular ring. But sentimental value to the person yes. that lost it, you, I mean, you can't replace that. Right. It's just not the same. You can buy a replacement, but it's still not the same. Right. People want that original ring back for, like I said, sentimental values. That's the ring they were married with. It was a ring from their grandmother. It was a ring from their great-grandfather. I mean, most every piece of jewelry has, a, as Chris Turner would say, a significant story attached to it. Exactly, and and as I'm sure you've probably mentioned before, I know I have too with different ring returns. When we go out and and put that time and effort in, and we're able to recover that item for that person, it's we enjoy it too because it's a great feeling to know that we handed them back that sentimental piece. But not only that, that story continues for that ring now. Absolutely, and like I said, uh, the word of mouth on that type of work goes a long way. Uh, you know, it's not all financial, you know, people ask about the ring finders. Yes, we work on a reward basis. That doesn't mean anybody's obligated to make any form of restitution for the recovery. And there's plenty of times I've done work for free. You know, you listen to people's stories and they're, you know, by the time they get to us, they're pretty desperate. They tried everything else and they're, right. you know, they're comb combing the internet and they come across a website or a link back to the ring finders or Houston metal detecting services. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they're pretty desperate at that point. And you listen to their stories, and sometimes folks don't have, they don't have the financial means. Uh, you know, when you hear the story, you find out what it is and how important it is to you, and you know that you're going to do something for these folks that nobody else can perceivably do. And you go out there and you find this ring for these people. And, you know, I've accepted, you know, chocolate chip cookies. I've accepted a pie as, you know, restitution, I'll call it restitution, just as a reward for my time and services for, you know, maybe being in somebody's yard for two hours in a hundred degree heat in Texas and, you know, tracking down a ring that had belonged to their great, great grandmother that was lost playing uh, with the water hose in the backyard. I mean, the, the stories are just endless, but, you know, it, it still turns out to be a lot of fun. And like I said, I would consider every one of those 137 recoveries as, as people I would now call friends, which is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You do get a lot of interesting stories along the way and make some new friends. And uh, I, I've I've told people in the past too. We we work on a reward system, you know, because when when we're looking for that that sentimental item, you you can't really put a price on it. And does that mean that that the person you helped last week is any less deserving than the person who needs help this week? No, absolutely not. Everybody should have the uh, the knowledge to know that that option is out there. Doesn't matter how much money you have, reach out to us. Right. I see a lot of people uh, chiming in about the the cost for the ring finders, and there is a fee associated with that. But with that, you get a uh, a web page of your own. The interesting part it gives you the ability to post some blogs about your recoveries. Uh, and the nice part is Google really seems to like the ring finders and you put in your blogs, you're able to put in tags or, uh, search tags and Google seems to really like to pick, like picking those tags up from the ring finders because they like what we do. 
Absolutely. So it's it's yeah, so it's uh, you know for that fee you get a web page you get the ability to post blogs and with those blogs comes the ability to post tags which means in the end that's phone calls to your phone when people are looking for help because I I put in a lot of phrases you know Lost Ring Houston Texas and then if somebody types in that phrase in the Google my post from the Ring Finders will likely be one of the first returns on the first page of that search with that key phrase. So there is some strong benefit. You know, if you're interested in treasure hunting, you're interested in you know, a little reward money, it's it's a really awesome, cool thing to be doing. Right. And many times, uh, you know, if you even get just one call, chances are very good that that reward is going to cover your uh, annual membership. Absolutely. I've had, I've had rewards from uh, a box of cookies to... Over, uh, I think my highest reward has been like in the $1,600 range for something that I thought had a significant less value. But like I said, some of these rings are generational rings where they belong to family members for years and years and years. And, you know, the, the cost is irrelevant at that point. Right, right. Yeah, some of them are truly irreplaceable. And it's, uh, you know, apparently they felt it was worth that. So, wow, good job on that one. Yeah. You know, it leads to another thing, you know, as we're going along, you know, I've been contacted by insurance companies to look for uh, rings that they're fixing to pay out claims on, uh, you know, a variety of different things. Obviously, it, you know, business was so well that I launched my own website, which was Houston Metal Detecting Services, and that was an effort to help steer more traffic for people looking for help to a local website. The ring finders still, I think, I receive more calls to the ring finders than I do through my own website. But it gives me the ability to post a little more information, uh, kind of consolidate my work into a, a general website. So even when people come into the ring finders, I tend to have them jump over to my website. It gives a little more information about who I am. I like the idea, just like any any this day and age, people get to see who I am before I show up at their house. I think yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it, it gives them a, uh, they're able to get a little bit of a feel for the type of person they're dealing with before they even reach out and contact you. Yes, absolutely. That And that alone goes a long way for some people, I'm sure. Yes. I know I've noticed sometimes in the past, you know, when, when they lose a ring or, or some other item, sometimes they're a little leery about giving out those details because, you know, they're, they're not real sure about you or anything. And people, sure. a lot of people are not very trusting by nature. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's great that, to, that they've got that option where they can see that extra information. Sure. Or even you know, previous uh, yeah. returns. Yeah, and I, you know, I coach a lot of guys. I don't want to say coach, but uh, you know, I've been pretty successful. Like I said, 137. I don't know. I'm far from being the highest recovery specialist at the Ring Finders, uh, but you know, I think I do pretty well. And you know, I tell a lot of guys, you know, if you're gonna put your picture up there, put a nice professional picture up there. You know, when you show up at these people's home, you want to look like a professional. And you know, I had some nice shirts made. I got my Ring Finders logo on there. I've got my Houston Metal Detecting Services. When John shows up at the someone's house he looks professional you know well groomed uh you know and that goes a long way and uh i think that has helped add to my success you know so if i had any advice for anyone I and mean, those are those are things you want to look at first impressions go a very long way with people 
Yes, just like you said, people want to roll, roll your website. They take a look at you. And you look you look good. You look professional. They're, they're comfortable. It doesn't matter who you are. You just want to present yourself in a very professional manner, and you want to uh, uh, you, you want to carry yourself that way when you're working uh, for a you know. I sometimes refer to them as a client or a customer or just an individual who's called and is looking for help. And it's right. like you said, they're looking for somebody they could trust. They don't want to call somebody out there who they're going to be leery of that's going to find your property and not give it back to them. Exactly. Yeah, and, and that, that does. That goes a long way. They can look through and say, hey, you know, this gentleman looks like a fine, upstanding individual. I'm, I'm confident that uh, he, he is professional about it. He's thorough, and, and I feel that there's a very good chance if I contact him, I can get my property back. Sure. You know, and anybody can do it. I started with one recovery on the ring finders, just like anybody else. And, you know, it's just a, you know, termination and, uh, you know, commitment to try to make something out of, uh, what I thought was an intriguing, uh, pursuit, which was something I enjoyed doing and seeing that, you know, there was a demand for it and that some folks were willing to, be very gracious about a reward if you were able to find a property that they lost. Right. And obviously we know that, I mean, it'd be nice, you know, the the world we live in versus the one we'd like, I guess you could say, where uh, not every hunt is necessarily successful. Uh, sometimes they put you in the wrong spot or something like that. But you seem to have been very uh, fortunate with with that many ring returns over the six year period, what do you feel that your success rate may be? Because certainly there's had to have been somewhere. Maybe they just didn't get you in the right spot, or or it wasn't even there to begin with. Sure, yeah, and you know we can go back to you know maybe it's my skill set, and this is the thing I would tell everybody, and that I tell everybody. You know, I look at it from three phases. Even when I teach, it's they. Scene security, scene safety, one, no matter who you are or where we're going, we want to make sure it's someplace safe for us to be treasure hunting. You know, I look at environmental dangers from snakes to alligators to sharks to, you know, bad water conditions. There's a variety of things. Second, you know, the, the detector is like third on the list. The second is you. You need to be able to conduct a an effective interview of the person who is asking you to go out and look for something. Absolutely. It's all time. about the right questions. Sure, I ask a lot of questions, and you know, I want to make sure that there is a probability of success. And you know, a lot of times when you start interviewing these people and talking to them and start asking them some specific questions, it becomes pretty evident that they really don't know where they lost their property. Or you right. find out it's just lost somewhere in the lake, not in a particular area in a lake. So, you know, you start having to, you know, the who, what, where, when, and why, and as you work, start working through those questions, you start establishing a pretty good baseline of the probability of success. Now, granted, you're right. I have gone out a lot of times and not been successful uh, because they either don't know or it's just the wrong spot or somebody else has come along and gotten it or could be any number of things. But, yes, I mean, I am not always successful, no mistake about it, but I think through that course of interview, uh, you know, I, I evaluate and I get a lot of calls for recoveries that are just not possible. As we're saying, people say, I lost my ring. Where did you lose it? And they just simply say, I don't know. Uh, right. Yeah. Know, at that point, can't really do a whole lot. No, 
no, not a lot, you know. And I, I tell people, try to coach them and say, look, you want to sit down and uh, you know, kind of use some interview interrogation tactics. Don't sit down, get out a pad of paper. You know, we start writing things out. We're triggering different, uh, you know, processes of our mind and our memory versus just trying to free think things out. And I do that with a lot of clients as well when we're going to go on a recovery. I ask them to sit down the night before and get out a pad of paper and try to remember the last things they were doing, where they went how they were doing it, and when they start writing those things down, you know, it's amazing the things they start to recall. So uh, just, you know, all those type of approaches are very beneficial in your success and uh, a recovery, whether it's a ring or you're looking for a piece of evidence or even a lost child, whatever it may be. I mean, all those questions are really, you know, all come together for no matter what it is you're doing. Right, absolutely, and I'm sure that uh, your your career by nature has kind of uh, honed those uh, interrogation skills, so to speak, to ask the proper questions in the right way. Sure. Nice. So you've been doing that for a while, but then suddenly you uh, you start to notice maybe I need a little better gear, or or I need a tool that's going to suit my conditions. Uh, yep. the, the environments that I work in and, and you decided, Hey, let's, let's try to make some scoops. Yeah. And you know, I don't know which direction to go because the, this little hobby metal detecting has, has taken so many hats in the last five years that it's, it's even hard for me to keep up with at times from starting with the ring finders to building Houston metal detecting services to launching a YouTube channel with, you know, those 137 recoveries from, you know, land-based recoveries, the shallow water recoveries, to a little treasure hunting out on the beach, to underwater, uh, and then getting into building scoops, and then going to work for Tritech Forensics, teaching forensic metal detecting across the country. Uh, yes, but the path has just been nonstop. But yes, after launching Houston Metal Detecting Services, well, prior to that, you know, building the scoops was about a. It took me two years just to get to the point where. I could start actually getting a scoop manufactured and, and, you know, by no means do I have any expertise in this field and it's something we're lacking in our educational system about teaching entrepreneurship and, you know, the things that go along with it, uh, knowing how to, uh, you know, do your finances through the internal revenue service to bookkeeping. I use QuickBooks now, but uh, there's just so much. And, uh, you know, I initially just went to a fabrication shop with a with a sketch pad and a drawing of a scoop and said, I want to build this. Well, you know, little did I know that was really not the best approach. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you, you get bounced around quite a bit. And then when they find out that you're just a small guy and you're only looking to maybe have a couple of hundred scoops built initially versus 10,000, uh, there's just a lot of people who are not interested in people of – that, uh, those financial means, you know, I wanted to build a couple hundred scoops and kind of test the waters and look at the product and, uh, go from there. So there was a lot of doors just slammed in my face. So when you're ready to build 10,000 scoops, you come back and see us. So John had to take a step backwards and this is kind of the process. I started looking through Craigslist and I started looking for services and I searched out CAD and SolidWorks engineers. So I'm fortunate being in the Houston area, we have a lot of guys from the oil field and we have a lot of guys from the aerospace industry. So I went through about four different guys and found a guy that I really liked and I'm using him to this date and he is just extraordinary in SolidWorks. And if you don't know what that is, it's kind of like a CAD 3D engineering designing drawing. So 
Uh, that's the best I can describe because it's not really my area of expertise. So I'm just fortunate. I found like five or six highly talented people and surrounded myself around them. And uh, that's how I've been successful at making extreme scoops. But Oscar is my CAD and 3D guy. I, I send them the ideas and concepts of what I want, and he starts creating this in a 3D world for me. And I'm able to look at those drawings in 3D. I call him back to these are things I want to change on that drawing. He's able to export those into DAWG files or DXL files. You know, like I said, things we should be, have been learning in school, but we didn't. So then I, now I can take those files to a laser shop and present them those files and those drawings. I have these uh, these uh, drawings as well, you know, in a PDF format, um, engineering drawings. I can now present this to them on a, a, a flash drive and say, I want to create these. And, you know, that got a little concerning too because I had people wanting to just cut the material for five and $600 per scoop. And trust wow. me, there was a lot of roadblocks, yeah, a lot of roadblocks and a lot of uh, setbacks, you know, many, many, many times over. And uh, like I said, it took two years. But, you know, I had to send my drawings out to a lot of different people to try to get pricing. And I started getting a little concerned that uh, somebody may just take my drawings and run with them, but I couldn't find a way around it. And people said, well, you should look at patenting your your scoops, and I get that, but it's very expensive, and then all that it takes is a small modification from my scoop to another scoop, and they're not infringing on my patent rights. So right. it's really, you know, it's the, the goal is just try to get ahead of the crowd. So make a long story short, I finally found two facilities, one here in Houston, which is Diverse Metal Products, and another uh, tubular laser shop in Dallas, Texas, and that's one of the things I learned, learned as well, that not all fabrication shops are equal. You know, some specialize in five-axis rotational lasers, which is what you use to cut tubes, and others are, uh, you know, flat steel or sheet steel. And Diverse Metal Products in Houston specializes. That's on the website. You, those are the videos. You see them cutting those scoops on a flat laser. It's a million-and-a-half-dollar laser. It's not something John owns, but I found some really good people in other family-owned business. Uh, John Keith and Misty Bolton at Diverse Metal Products, uh, extraordinary people. And we were able to negotiate even in small runs of 100, 150 scoops, a price that was, uh, that I could work with and build scoops. And then I found the Dallas Laser Shop with the five axis rotational laser. It was interesting. I had people quoting me $60 to cut a tube. And <laughs> you know, I can't build scoops for that price. I finally found some nice people in Dallas that have a five-axis rotational laser, and they cut the tubes, which are what the handles go into on the scoop. So two years after the fact, we, we run off the first run of extreme scoops, and we did a tri-fold scoop first. We created the X1, the X2, and the X3. And I say we, it's really me, my wife, and my son. Uh, you know, my oldest is now leaving the college, Texas Tech, but, you know, so it's a family. They have to tolerate me. They help out. My youngest is helping with shipping and delivery, you know, boxing and <laughs> everything else you could do to help out. Uh, you know, we're at a point now where the business is running me. I'm no longer running the business. We have exceeded our expectations. We're having an extremely difficult time keeping up with the demand for the scoops. Uh, but back to the scoop. The X1, the X2, and the X3 were the first scoops. Uh, the only difference in the scoops, for those who've looked at them, is the filtration in the rear of the scoops. I designed the, the third scoop, the X3, primarily or originally as a CSI or forensic recovery scoop. I needed a scoop that would 
capable of capturing projectiles as small as a 22 or 22 shell casing for operators who are not daily treasure hunters. So I need a guy who can hit a signal in the water and three or four foot of water, put that scoop down there, and hopefully on that first punch of the scoop, be able to pull that projectile out and not allow it to fall through the scoop. So that was the original premise for the X3 was really the forensic concept, but it is taking off in the sport arena extremely well because of guys hunting with PI machines, which I have never hunted with. Uh, but, you know, those PI machines find all the small little pieces of metallic items. Oh, yeah, and they do. The, and now with the Equinox, you know, everybody wants the X3 because it's, it captures all of the little small pieces of material that the Equinox is digging out. Uh, the X2... You know, it's really my favorite. Uh, it has a large screen and capture basin, uh, and uh, but filters really quick. And then the X1 just has the large octagonal holes. And you know, anybody listening is probably going, "What the heck?" But just kind of take a look at the website, and you'll you'll get a clearer picture of the three different designs. And then our latest release, which was the scoop you were talking about, was the sand shredder, and it it's like two pounds, eleven ounces, extremely tough. It's just a bulletproof scoop. You know, my, my goal originally, you know, we're, we're just all over the place, but I had bought some Ukrainian scoops myself, and this is how it started. And John's treasure hunting and peeling Ukrainian scoops apart and breaking wood handles down on the beach and getting frustrated. And then you try to reach out to the manufacturers, and I was going to give them ideas on how to make their scoop better. I liked the product, but there was things they needed to do to keep it from coming apart. And right. they just had no interest in listening to me or talking to me. And I said, well, there's got to be a better way. Uh, John's going to build a scoop. Well, little did I know how much it was going to be involved in that process. But it's a two, two, two years, two and a half years later, <laughs> I finally get one out. But uh, so that was it. A lot from my own treasure hunting experiences with the products that were available. And I just felt that I could build I knew I could build a better product, whether I could get it out for a cost that people would be willing to pay was going to be the big challenge. Right. And uh, the way it it looks, when people go through and look at your Extreme Scoops website or, or even the Facebook page, they see uh, each scoop has the specs right there. They're all fairly lightweight, but they're all manufactured from the, well, I believe uh, what the the Surfmaster line as well as the Sand Shredder, they're all manufactured from 304 stainless, I believe, 14 yep. gauge? Four, yep, 14 gauge, 304 stainless. You know, and the big push for me and, you know, the company that we created is with Extreme Scoops is that everything is American made. You know, the steel is American. The fabrication shops are right here in Houston, Texas, one in Dallas. Uh, all the workers are, you know, Americans right here. You know, granted, I'm the great state of Texas, but they're all here. They're all U.S. Uh, everything we do, you know, granted, we get our handles from Pete in Canada. I have nothing against our northern neighbors, and Pete is just an extraordinary guy, and he custom right. makes the Neptune handles for our scoops. Uh, I saw Pete's product, liked it a lot, and then I asked if it was going to be possible for him to modify those to be a more unique fit for our scoops, and he was on board immediately. So we take the original Neptune handle, which he had been producing. We have him put a 20-degree angle cut on the bottom of the scoop, and there's a, a threaded insert in the bottom of that, uh, that handle as well. And when you insert that, that carbon handle into our scoop, 
with that 20 degree cut on the bottom of the handle, it fits perfect on the top of the scoop. And then we have that threaded insert where we provide the hardware to run a, a washer and a bolt from inside the scoop into the bottom of the handle to provide a secondary anchor point uh, for the scoop and handle. So right, exactly uh, a secondary lost. point because you've got the yeah. uh, the bolt through the uh, the collar at the top of the scoop as well. Yes, so I, I I've kind of lost track here myself. Around <laughs> the scoop, got to the handle. So yes. So we, oh, back to everything being American made, you know, that, that was my goal. And I know people can buy a cheaper scoop. I get that. You know, they can go online to eBay and buy things for $60, $120, there's a variety of things. But, you know, we just want to think about whose economy we're supporting and what workers were putting a paycheck in their pockets and whose families were supporting. So that, that's my big push. And, uh, some people may not care for that. It is what it is, but uh, that's what I'm about, and I, I'm, I'm very confident in my product. I, you know, I put a 10-year warranty on it. I felt that that had more sustainability to it than putting a lifetime warranty. To me, if I, you put a lifetime warranty on it, it means something you're going to have to be replacing for some reason. But uh, you know, to me, a 10-year is like a quality tool. I put a 10-year warranty on a quality tool. If you break that thing or destroy it within a 10-year time span, John's going to replace it. You know what? If you're around 15 years from now and you're still digging with my scoop and you break it, John's probably just going to give you a new scoop 15 years or 18 years down the road. I'm hoping I'm around in 18 years to see somebody return a scoop that late. Right? Yeah, absolutely. But, uh, you know, we've seen many times in the hobby, and I'm sure you've probably learned along the way yourself, that, sure, there are cheaper products out there as far as scoops or digging tools or something like that you know you can you can go down to your local hardware store and buy a garden spade for 12 bucks and then when you break it maybe you go buy another one and another one and another one and then finally you get frustrated and you think you know what there really is a truism to you get what you pay for and if i want to quit shelling out money i should buy quality to begin with Right. You know, we, we buy the best metal detector that we can get our hands on, and, and yet sometimes it seems like we skimp on some of the secondary accessories to make our jobs easier and more successful. And, you know, an example, I'm, I'm teaching this forensic metal detecting, and I'm guessing some of these people have never dug a projectile out because I'm, you know, at the end of day one, I tell them that you, know, you need to bring a digging tool to class tomorrow because we're going to be excavating projectiles from in the ground and I get this look and I'm like you don't have a digging tool or shoveling your CSI van and the answer in most cases is no I said well tonight you need to go to Home Depot or Lowe's and bring back a digging tool a hand tool and you know something anything yeah well failure on my part because I don't explain it well because you know this last class you know that was a, a learning curve for John is that they came some of them came back with like plastic spades and, uh, oh you know, yeah, you know, or the ones with the little metal handle, like literally like a little potting hand trial type thing, you know, and obviously their first attempt to dig something, they snapped the plastic or bent the, uh, the rod back on their little digging spade. So, you know, I mean, <laughs> that can be a little more descriptive of what it is that they need, uh, in the way of tools. But, you know, and that's the point being is a lot of people just don't have that understanding. They, a, a, a shovel is a shovel, a scoop is a scoop. 
and they don't they don't figure it out. You know, not unlike myself early on. You know, you start digging with something and you're you're snapping handles or you're peeling the the scoop apart. You realize that this is just not going to be a, a solid enough tool for what it is I'm trying to accomplish. Right, and and for some people in certain environments, maybe that works fine for them, but. When it's not working for you in your environment, well, you know, it it's not rocket science. You need to change it up. You need to get a better tool for the job. Yes. So we we uh you know we spend a lot of time on the scoops. Uh, you know, was never going to. Re- it's like you know I talked to Pete. You know, some of these guys are like I said, great mentors. Pete Anderson, great guy. You know, I call him for advice and ask him for you know business ideas and his, you know, his basis of how he makes things happen. And I didn't, I'm like, Pete, I didn't want to put anything out there that had my name attached to it that was not a good quality product that I felt that it would be, like I said, a quality tool with a 10-year warranty. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot of trial and error that goes with that. And, you know, we talked about building scoops and, and people just see the, the end result. And it's, sometimes it's hard to see. Uh, exactly what goes into the process, but uh, you know, building five scoops to test and evaluate can be almost as expensive as making a hundred or two hundred scoops. Uh, when these when these shops have to set up and line out and stop production on other products to run five products, uh, you know, it becomes challenging. Do you just go into it blind and say, "Make me two hundred of these," or do you say, "You know what? I've got to I've got to spend the money." make five of them. I've got to jump up and down on these things, beat them on the concrete. I've got to go bury them nine feet in the sand, pry on them, and see if we can destroy them. And, you know, see, you've got to go through that process. Unfortunately, it's an expensive process. But what you, uh, you know, even in the beginning, we we made four, maybe five changes to the original trifold scoop that you see today. Uh, Things that we changed, modified, altered, uh, corrected, made better, you know, and, uh, you know, we, we spent the money, but it was well worth it because in the end, it, I believe we created a superior product. I mean, I think we've got the strongest, uh, metal detecting, beach metal detecting scoop on the market. Now that's John speaking, you know, that's just John. Uh, but I, I really believe that we have like the strongest scoop on the market. Right. Absolutely. Everybody, uh, everyone is entitled to their own opinion, but. I've I've used a few different scoops myself, and and recently I've been using the sand shredder, and that thing is just awesome. Uh, I did get out onto a beach the other day with it that I've never never been on that beach before. Figured I'd try it, and unfortunately, there was about an inch and a half of sand before you get to hard packed dirt. Well, you know, at that point, like we've said, proper tools for proper jobs, and. That's not a conducive environment for for any beach scoop, really. So we had to go sure. back to the shovels. You know, use what what is use the tool for what it's intended for. Sure. <laughs> but uh, it it has it's it's been working great. Uh, really enjoy the fact that it, it's it's durably built. It's got a little bit of back support there on the back plate. Uh, it with the uh, carbon fiber handle, especially it's super lightweight, very manageable, and with the hexagonal holes like that, it clears the sand quick, whether you're in the wet sand or the dry sand. Absolutely. We uh, Our second design, we initially thought about making the rounded bottom scoop first, 
uh, the Shredder series. And I don't know why we just opted to go with the trifold first. And uh, I'm, I'm glad we did because that scoop has just taken off. Now we're uh, making a, a big effort of, of pushing the, the Shredder series. And we're looking at the second generation of that scoop as well, a little oh, ways nice. down the road. But, uh, you know, you and I have talked about it privately. And I'm not, you know, we're looking at maybe an insert uh, to go inside that scoop where you would have some different filtration options. Uh, we're not sure we're going to take that approach. You know, that would be pretty unique to have a scoop that you would have a multitude of inserts from extremely fine screening to medium screening to basically the scoop by itself with, the you know, the open uh, hexagonal holes in it. So something to look at. And then we have a, a – I posted on Facebook. You know, we're, we're covering – we're taking every design that's out there, the trifold, the rounded bottom, and now the circular – design and we're that's the, the product we're coming out with next it's a six inch uh, solid piece of 14 gauge 304 stainless steel tubing uh, you know it's kind of like the old RTG type scoops but this thing is right. going to be a bullet and uh, extremely lightweight extremely durable uh, so we've kind of looked at every previously designed scoop and taken modern technology and modern concepts and modern engineering uh, principles and have applied it to all three of these product lines, and uh, I think we're going to have some really nice scoops uh, with those uh, new designs coming out here in the near future. I think so too, and they've got options. That's that's the beauty of it because they can outfit it with the carbon fiber handle from Anderson, the travel carbon fiber handle from Anderson, or if they still like wood, you've even got the ash wood handles already set up to where they can order that handle and it will match perfectly with the scoop. They don't even have to take it home and sand on it, saw on it, or whatever to make it fit. They just put it right together. Yeah, that was a big thing is when we decided, decided or I decided I was going to start manufacturing scoops. The, the, one of the key things is if I can't find handles and a tube that will make up with one another, I'm just not going to do it because I did not like it. I've done it myself. I had to go to Home Depot and buy a uh, a handle and get a sander out and a grinder, and it just still is never right. You know, I had some uh, fiberglass handles that I dipped in bed liner to try to get the right diameter to when it went into the scoop. It was a good fit. And I just said, I'm not going to have that. We're going to do a plug-and-play concept. Is you buy a scoop, you buy a handle, you put it in, you tighten, cinch down the collar, and you start treasure hunting. So yes, exactly. with the ash handles, ash handles. <laughs> once again, I searched high and low and got kicked in the face a lot of times by some big companies saying we have, we have, we there's nothing they want to do with me because I'm not ordering five thousand wooden handles. But I found a small company in Waynesboro, Tennessee called Dixie Handle Company, another small family-run business, just uh, extraordinary people, and they custom make they. They mill, dry their own ash uh, wood, and custom make those handles for us. And those things are turned to be an absolute perfect fit for that stainless sleeve, that collar on those scoops. So when you slide it in, it's just perfect. And all you do is tighten down the, the cinch nut on it, and you're done. Now, we, right. have, a, we have another handle coming out. And I'm trying to BC, Italian Chief. Yeah, that's a battalion chief, Damon Mason. He's a firefighter, a friend here in the Houston area, and 
he originally came up with that, and I've seen those before, but he made a couple out of the 48-inch hash handles that uh, I sold him, and I uh, like the concept a lot, so we are getting ready to turn out some of those, and we named that after uh, Bane, and uh, so those are just about three weeks out, so just another alternative. Everybody likes something different. Now, we can't make something for everybody, but we listen to all the feedback we get. We listen to... Uh, what people are asking for, what they like, what they dislike, and we start trying to, uh, you know, adjust accordingly. So coming up with the shorter handle with the shovel top, uh, shovel grip on it, uh, it's a pretty cool concept. I like it myself. Maybe not a deep water tool, but definitely for the water's edge, some shallow water, and definitely working up on the dry sand. So uh, we've got a few other things up our sleeve as well. Just not going to kind of let those out at this time, but we're right. constantly looking for unique high-quality products to, you know, put out there for our treasure hunters. Absolutely. And I've had that frustration before, too, where you get a scoop, you try to get a handle to match up to it and everything. And i got to say, this time around, that has been the easiest, quickest, no-headache method. I I had to scoop together and and ready to go in five minutes. Yes. And that's that's what we want. You just want to be just like your detective. You want to take it out of the box, charge the battery, put it all together, and go start treasure hunting. You know, uh, so that was that was ultimately one of our big goals. Is that we wanted a quick release handle. We wanted uh, handles that fit. You know, and with that, you know, like I said, things have taken off at a much greater speed than what we were expecting. And we're as I mentioned, we're having a hard time keeping up with the demand as far as the manufacturing side. Uh, you know, everything is time from getting these out of the fabrication shop, uh, getting these things welded up. We put them through a passivation system. That's basically a weld cleaning system that takes off the uh, the the burn or the scar marking from the uh, welders from the, from the heat. So a little time involved there. We do a, uh, about three or four different quality control checks on them. Uh, so by the time we get through that process, you know, it, it's time and it's good. It's a good problem to have, you know, that your people are wanting scoops fast and you can produce, produce them, but we've also ran into that with Pete. You know, we've become Pete's largest purchaser of carbon fiber handles for scoops. Nice. And, of course, you know, there's you know, a little more time involved for him to make those. So we had exceeded, you know, not that he's not capable, but he just didn't keep that type of product on hand at the volume that we're wanting to purchase and buy. So now we even have, a, you know, he's, he's Pete is having to, you know, kind of re-gear up for us as well, which is cool. We become his number one uh, purchaser of, uh, you know, carbon fiber handles for scoops. And, uh, you know, I hope to keep it that way. And uh, so, yeah, just like right now, our, our, you know, I'm having to turn, not, I don't want to say turn people away, but I'm having to let them know that we are, you know, three weeks out from having some x-rays. I just had like another 85 of them come off the laser. Uh, but, you know, I was getting them to the laser shop. I got two great guys, a guy named Austin, a guy named Eddie, are just highly talented welders. But, uh, you know, they can only burn so much so fast. And uh, so we're getting them built as quick as we can. And, you know, we'll have them. Uh, just unfortunately, you know, we're going to, this fall, we're going to, things slow down at all. We're just going to try to work really hard to get in the head. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, like that, as fast as we get them built right now, they're going out the door, which is, like I said, a good problem to have. But I don't like not having it when somebody calls. That's my, I have a hard time with that saying, I'm sorry, we just don't have it. And that, that's, that just eats me up. But, uh, you know, I'm hoping that we're going to get past that. You know, Pete's going to get geared up. We're going to have a lot more product on hand. 
you know, as we grow, we're able to finance larger volumes of product as well. A larger number of scoops come off the laser, you know, Absolutely. hiring more welders. It's just, it's a process. And, you know, I'm a police officer by profession. Uh, so, you know, it took me two years to save, you know, the equity needed to kind of get this thing off the ground. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's, it's carrying itself and, uh, you know, hopefully things continue and, you know, we got, you know, some nice people like yourself kind of giving us an opportunity to get a little airtime and get the word out about our products. So it means a lot and it goes a long way. Yeah. And I mean, really it, you guys are making some great scoops and really love that combination working with Anderson shafts like that to provide some good quality handles as well as the, uh, the, uh, company doing the ash handles too and making them match up perfectly like that. Hopefully the success continues with that. Uh, you know, it's, it's kind of tough sometimes. Maybe, you know, supply and demand. There may be a little delay or a little bit of a wait, but patience is a virtue. And if you've yeah. got that stuff in stock, I, you normally ship priority mail. So. Yeah, we ship, uh, it's usually two to three day priority mail. Yeah, uh, so I they've like got it on their doorstep fast. Yes. You know, most people have it within three to, Three, you know, five days is on a stretch. Usually in that two to four day window, they have it sitting on their front porch, which is pretty cool. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a good thing. It provides tracking. Uh, it provides the shipping materials. I've done everything I can. Uh, you know, there's a lot of things going behind the scene. You know, I, sh- I pack with recycled paper. I use UP or United States Postal Service because they provide me the shipping boxes for free. And as long as I continue, continue to do that, I don't have to charge the consumer. Right. Everything you can to try to keep it as cost effective as possible. Exactly. You know, and the consumer maybe doesn't see that, but we are definitely working behind the scenes. I get free packing tape from the United States Postal Service. Saves money. You know, everything we can do to be creative on trying to keep our costs down, we do. Now, you know, one of the biggest setbacks here recently was the, Steel tariffs. Right. It's costing me about, you know, fifteen to twenty dollars per scoop more in steel now than it did just three months ago. Uh, so you know, it's a little bit of setback, and there was a little price increase on our scoops. Not something we weren't happy about, but uh, there was just no way to work around it because of the cost of the increase in the stainless steel material that we're purchasing to build the scoops. Right, absolutely, and at least you're you're not doing what we see from some other companies in retail and such, where oh well the prices are going up, well we'll just cut corners and make a a uh, not as quality made product or an inferior product and still sell yeah, well, at the we'll, same price. Yeah, we'll never travel that road, and uh, you know we're not able to build a top quality product. You know the snap on tools, the Craftsman tool. Then we're, we're just going to cease to do it. You know, I'm not going to, like I said, I'm not going to send something out there with my name attached to it and, you know, people just, you know, not satisfied with the product. There's no reason to be producing that. So, yeah, if it gets to that point and you know, I'm hoping that things level back out and, you know, we try to be as, uh, you know, straight up forward about this as we can, but perhaps it still comes back down or pricing on our scoops is going to come back down. You know, I'd like to get them back. We like, I like the mark below the $200 mark, but, uh, again, you know, we're building an American product using American steel. The demand for steel is up. American only produces so much of that steel, so it costs more to get our hands on it. So we're not buying Chinese steel. We're not buying stuff from overseas. We're buying product made right here in the United States. And, right, you know, and I'm sure. Get, 
I'm sure that means a lot for some people too to know that they're they're actually ordering an American-made product right here in America from a company who stands behind their product. Yes. Nice. Well, that is that is just absolutely awesome, and uh, <clears throat> hopefully continued success with it. Like I said, really enjoy uh, those modus lift assist handles too, and and the shirts are pretty sharp as well. I gotta say. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're looking. You know, it's one of the things we looked at, and this is another avenue we're trying to pursue. You know, there's just not a lot of, you know, really nice, classy looking T-shirts in our in our niche, you know, for treasure hunters. And we're trying to come up with some nice looking hunting apparel that is professional in appearance. It's got a good look to it, a good quality. You know, the shirts we're producing, we buy from Relentless Defender. And if the listeners want to look at that, it's a law enforcement run company. They donate a lot of money back to a lot of really good law enforcement related charities and other charities as well. I buy my shirts through those folks. A certain percentage of those uh, my funds are transferred to some charity that that organization involved with, so I like it. The shirts are extremely high quality. Anybody who has one knows it's like a, it's definitely a shirt you can sleep in. They're just that comfortable. They're really nice. Yeah, super shirts. comfortable, super comfortable, and really like the logo too. The the whole yep. uh, uh, patriotically correct. Yes. Again, that's that's the big push. You know, we're doing everything right here in the U.S. You know. And uh, you know, we look at it as being patriotically correct. We're not funding overseas. We're not buying stuff from overseas. We're, I see a couple of posts here. We're, we're trying to make America great one scoop at a time. That was a, a great comment by one of the viewers here. So we're giving it a shot. Yeah, exactly. You know, uh, be proud of it. Do it right and be proud Absolutely. of it. Absolutely. I, I would have to agree. And, and so far from what I've seen, you are doing everything right. That's a good quality scoop. I'm just... If if I had realized that there was a scoop out there that could be that light but still that durable, I'd I'd have been using one two years ago. <clears throat> you know, and, and and granted, the product is definitely a lot about the business, but you know, we all know that having a good quality product is great. But if you can't get help when something's wrong with that product, uh, you know that that goes a long way. And that's you know the, the second part of the business is being accessible to the people who buy our product, being accessible to people who are calling and asking about our product, and being able to direct it to other people who own the product and let them see it, whether it's on a YouTube channel or a comment left by somebody, or being able to answer some questions based on the fact that we know exactly what they're talking about because we do the same thing that they're doing. We're treasure hunters ourselves. We go out and dig holes and we search for gold and we search for platinum. And we dig up relics. We do all those fun things. So we have a, a, a strong basis to be able to answer questions for the people who are making those inquiries. Absolutely, I would have to agree, and and that's great because you you get that that customer support. But not only do you get the customer support, you get the experience. So you're getting your information from a person who is very knowledgeable and has a good skill set to answer those questions. Absolutely. Which I guess kind of uh, brings us into the last part there, speaking of skill set and everything. For for some of us, maybe some of the listeners out there had never really thought about it, but metal detectors do play a part in law enforcement, so to speak. 
and somehow or another you've been uh called to to uh, help educate others and inform them in the areas of forensic recovery yeah i, I think there's a big market in training and metal detecting in general and just recently finished up a private class in metal detecting for a non-law enforcement, uh, teaching a gentleman how to use his uh, new Tesoro sand shark. And uh, so just want the listeners to keep that in mind that there are opportunities out there to uh, take your skill set because the people, all the people in this blog right now are chiming in are all people with the same skill set that I have. And they have the ability to go out there and basically do the same thing. They just got to find a way to let people know that they exist, that uh, whether it's through a local club or whether it's through a retailer, that they are offering training on metal detecting. You know, we're tactile learners. You take me out there and you show me your all your audio stuff that you're using right now, I'm going to get a lot stronger grasp and understanding of how to use it than if you just hand me the book from the manufacturer and say, John, you need to read this and learn how to use all this stuff that I'm using right now. John's not going to get that. But if you sit me down in front of the, the computer there, or the keyboard, and all the switches and dials that, John, you need to have switch A in this position, switch B over here, and A, pretty, from there on, things pretty much run pretty smooth. So, uh, Right, more of a, a of, uh, hands-on learner. Yeah, that's what people need. So how it started is, you know, I have the YouTube channel, and I have – a member of the Houston Police Department's dive team was following me on YouTube, and he was focusing on the underwater work that I do. So Houston Police Department's dive team acquired five brand-new Garrett Sea Hunter underwater metal detectors. So the Houston Police Department's dive team reached out to my agency. make a long story short, they contacted me and asked if I would consider giving them a training course on underwater metal detecting. And I was, of course, you know, myself I'm like sure this would be awesome right so we did a two-day two-day underwater metal detecting course now there was nothing that I could teach these guys about diving extremely highly skilled uh, I'm learning from them so it was a nice trade-off I'm learning things from them and I'm teaching them a little bit of metal detecting but it was also you know some great moments went off you know they're uh, you know we did we did the two-day class a lot of things were exchanged in the way of knowledge and insight on how things are done Following that class, I was put in touch with the Houston Forensic Science Institute, and that's the civilian side of the Houston Police Department. They're the crime scene. They did an eight-hour forensic recovery course on shell casings and projectiles and, like, grassy environments for those folks. And that led me to TriTech Forensics, which is uh, – they're under the IAI, which is the International Association of Investigators. So most every state has an IAI well, there's the Florida IAI, the Texas, and they kind of all fall under the umbrella of the international IAI. So TriTech Forensics is the leading training provider for that organization. So make a, in short, I'm, I'm teaching through TriTech Forensics now. I'm traveling across the country teaching a two-day class on forensic metal detecting or crime scene uh, metal detecting, teaching crime scene investigators how to use a metal detector that's primarily most of these uh, Agencies are owning the Garrett CSI 250s. Some of them have the pros, teaching them how to operate that machine, how to ground balance it, how to not discriminate, how to control uh, you know, environmental uh, factors that are affecting their capabilities. And at the end of two days, I think most of those CSI uh, operators feel very comfortable that 
the following day after class, they would be able to go out to pretty much any crime scene environment, and if there were to be showcasings or projectiles to be solved, that they would be very effective at recovering those. Nice. And maybe even uh, <clears throat> turn some of them on to the recreational side of the hobby that way as well. Absolutely. It's no different than in that CSI environment than it is kind of in the treasure. Some people just take to it, and it's just not for others. Some people are more into in that arena in the CSI. Some people are into the photography. Some people are into the blood stain patterns, but some people really seem to enjoy the metal attack. You know, the, the last part of the day, uh, day two, uh, for the class, which is kind of like one of the practical scenarios for the end is we all go out to a park or a soccer field and they have to go treasure hunt. They have to go find three items, random items throughout this area. You know, the whole goal is kind of getting into that treasure hunt mode. They come back, somebody found a piece of jewelry, somebody found some coins, somebody <laughs> found this or that, you know, and, you know, they're, they're stuck by it, you know, so you kind of, switch the light on for them a little bit. And they, uh, you know, some of them really seem to get into it. Like I said, then you, you can just tell that at times there's some that, you know, they're going to do it because it's just part of the requirement for their job. It's just not their thing. And I get that. Right, there's right. things that you could show me hobbies that I'm just going to go, you know, that's just something I'm personally not interested in doing. You know, I'm going to do it because I have to, but it's just not something I enjoy doing. Right. Absolutely. But those, uh, those who do kind of take to it like that, chances are good they may be a little more proficient out there when when the time is needed for that particular skill because they've taken to the recreational side of it. We are out yeah, there absolutely. honing our skills every day. Yeah, absolutely. You're hoping you're turning them into some part-time treasure hunters, if not full-time treasure hunters, because you're right. Those are, those are going to be the guys and girls who are just really going to be excel at uh, you know crime scene investigations with their detectors. They're going to be teaching the other CSI. That's the goal. Pass that knowledge on. As the new ones come on, they're able to take them out and say, this is the gear, CSI Pro. This is how it operates. This is how you find shell casings. This is how you dig up a projectile. Right. Teach them the right ways. Teach them the good traits and not the bad habits. Absolutely. I get that. Very cool. Uh, <clears throat> I guess uh, for, for those who may kind of wonder because some of us have been approached in the past by law enforcement to maybe assist and others maybe they don't know where to turn uh what would you recommend for for people who might like to get involved in assisting law enforcement or uh you know letting them know that their this service is out there hey i'm willing to help if someone needs assistance yeah a lot of people think uh approaching the police department itself uh, as the avenue, and I would argue that's probably not the best approach. Um, you want to look for the crime scene. Now, it may be within the police department, but you're not. The people you want to seek out are the crime scene investigators or a supervisor over the crime scene investigation team, and that would be the person you'd want to try to get in to visit with and do a one-on-one -on -one and have a business card or something with your information, and that's who you would want to say that if you ever need my service as a metal detecting specialist, feel free to call me at no cost. I'll come out there and assist you on any crime scene investigation that you feel necessary. Nice, because I know uh, some people have voiced an interest in it in the past, but they just they feel like they're not sure how to approach it. 
not that they don't have skills or or not that they think that it wouldn't be helpful, but they're just not sure where to turn to. So sometimes with with someone such as yourself who has had that experience and has gone before them, it's it's nice to have that information, at least the knowledge of, hey, now I know a path. Now I know a route that I can go if I choose to do that. Sure. And, uh, no, it can be challenging because a lot of agencies, it's just going to take some time to kind of, open that door. You know, a lot of uh, crime scene investigators, a lot of police departments are going to look at a lot of these, and that maybe that's where it's been a little easier gateway for me because you know, they're going to start looking at, eventually we may have to have this person come testify, <laughs> you know, that they were the person that, re- you know, recovered this forensic evidence related to this homicide case. So, right. I mean, those are, those are a, lot of, a lot of things that come into play. The background of this person, uh, you know, any documented skill sets, you know, through a certificate, because all those things will come up in a, in a court of law, you know, who trained you, what's your skill set, how do you know how to use the machine, you know, so a lot of things come into play, and I'm sure most of those police agencies, uh, the CSI people are all kind of thinking those things, but just thing is, get in there, give them the card, uh, ask them if they'd like to do a, an eight-hour, four-hour training block with their CSI investigators, with their metal detectors, where they like to do an overview of their metal detectors. I mean, there's just a lot of opportunities and approaches that they could utilize. Nice. And uh, also with the uh, the newcomers that we have coming into the hobby, uh, you know, social media, television, it it has made people more aware of metal detecting. It's It's grown in popularity extremely over recent years. But we see a lot of newcomers that come in, and, and perhaps you do as well, where they come in and they just, they sound like they're discouraged. Oh, there's there's no place to hunt around here. Uh, things like that. Uh, obviously, 137 documented recoveries in the last six years People are losing things. There are places Absolutely. to hunt, whether you're doing it randomly or whether people are contacting you. What would be a piece of advice that you would have for somebody like that who maybe uh, they come into the Houston, Texas area and they think, hey, I'm going to get a metal detector. Well, this kind of blows. There's no place to hunt. I can't find anything. There's nothing here. What would be your piece of advice to that person? Yeah, we don't. I don't see those challenges as much maybe in... Houston, as maybe some other folks do in their communities, uh, we are a pretty open uh, metal detecting city, state. Uh, obviously, state and federal parks, it's prohibited. Some cities have, uh, you know, enforced no metal detecting in some of their parks, but I don't really encounter that. You know, most soccer fields, most hot lots, you know, all our beaches are open, all our lakes are open. I mean, there's plenty of places to go. And, of course, if you're a treasure hunter, you're wanting to go where there are the greatest congregations of people. Uh, because if you're looking to seek out treasure or find things to return, well, you want to go where people are going. Right. So, Obviously, it's a numbers game. Yeah, whether it's from the you know 1600s or from modern times, you want to go to where the masses of people were congregating. Uh, I enjoy working the beach. It's easier to dig. I can put my feet in the water. Uh, you know, Texas is hot. So, I mean, I, I like working in a lake. I like working in a river. So those are the avenues or arenas that I like to spend most of my time. But between the recovery work and building the scoops, as I said earlier, the business is running me. I'm not running the business. It's taken me away from some of the things that I enjoy doing, which is treasure hunting, getting down to the beach, 
breaking out the Excal or new Equinox 800, one of my scoops, and just kind of spending the day in the sun and going out looking for some gold. But uh, there's plenty of places to hunt. There's no question about it. Very good. Very good, definitely. Well, I know we we had talked that we'd try to keep you on till about 9.15. We've ran over a little bit, but before you go, right. uh, maybe you'd like to let people know where to find you. Uh, make sure and mention your YouTube channels as well, and uh, any parting words of wisdom that you might like to share. Absolutely. Uh, you know, John Bollock on Facebook, uh, Houston Metal Attacking Services on Facebook, and Extreme Scoops on Facebook and then all those have parallel websites and then you know my recoveries are on Houston Metal Detecting Services at on YouTube uh, 130 something videos up there you know some you may not find interesting others are pretty cool uh, but if you ever have questions any concerns questions about scoops questions about the ring finders questions on Houston Metal Detecting Services my numbers are posted on all those sites you're always welcome to give me a call on anything I can do to help anybody out uh, completely about sharing information and uh, making it available to everybody. Right. You're you're certainly not a difficult person to find. You're just a very busy person. <laughs> Got a lot going on, and like I said, it's, uh, things are kind of running me, and I'm trying to get my hands wrapped around this a little bit, but uh, it's a good problem to have, but uh, you know, it's just it's getting caught up with everything that's taking place. Absolutely. Well, hopefully you can get caught up soon there, and and hopefully the success continues for you. Absolutely, and we we appreciate your time and uh, looking taking a hard look at us. All right. Well, uh, hang in there with me for a couple of minutes if you can, John. I'm gonna go we'll ahead do. and mute you out. We'll roll the music and we'll get on out of here. All right. Okay, so uh, that was John Volick, Extreme Scoops, Houston Metal Detecting Services. You know, he's he's out there. You, you've got the, the Houston Metal Detecting, the Extreme Scoops, the, the Ring Finders, the YouTube channels. That's two of them. There's a, there's a YouTube channel for Extreme Scoops and a YouTube channel for Houston Metal Detecting Services. Some good videos. And the Extreme Scoops channel really does a wonderful job at showing how to uh, how they go through the assembly process, the design process, fabrication, as well as putting the uh, the equipment together yourself as the final end user. If you're not real sure how to attach the handle or anything like that, so. It's been great to talk to John. Obviously, if you all enjoyed the show, make sure and throw us a like. You can follow us right here on Spreaker, iTunes, iHeart, uh, the Beyond Sight and Sound page on Facebook, Beyond Sight and Sound group. And while you're out there around Facebook, go ahead and drop by. Check out our friends over at Extreme Scoops, Houston Metal Detecting Services, Shooters and Prospectors. Uh, a lot of great areas on Facebook with a lot of great information. You can join us on all of them, one of them, or none of them. The choice is entirely up to you. But until the next time, we got to roll. Have a wonderful evening, folks, and get out there and try to find something. We'll see you on the next one. <laughs>